1: Cryptocurrency, Three guys, paid it, talking Bitcoin, no fee. That's the free Bitcoin podcast, insane. And adoption is still the only thing, thing, thing that matters, main.
2: Hey guys, welcome to the BitcoinPodcast.network, the flagship show. Of the Bitcoin Podcast Network. I'm your first host, Marcello. And
0: I am host number two, Dimitric D. Host number three, Corey. Tired as hell because I flew back from London today. London. London down. Yeah, how was London? Uh, every night. I wasn't, I wasn't sober every night. That's for sure. <laughs> uh. Well, you threw shade at, uh. Bobby Lee, Uh, man, that was cool. That was that was some of the like the I don't know. On a whole, I really disliked the conference. Um, was run fine. The facilities were fine. Um, the hackathon was fine. It just 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 like all of the pitches were things that I had heard of. And the like the whole, you, you can kind of view the whole, the whole, th- the whole conference in general as a series of five minute pitches of things that we've heard about or shouldn't be happening. And you can just see the, 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 the bloodlust that people have trying to find where the money's going to be or build the next product and tell everyone about it as fast as possible so they can make all the money like everyone else is. And there's no real like, Care. There's no real like projects. It's just it's just a big money game. I saw a does few things there that I liked. I saw a few things there that I liked, and uh, we'll probably try and bring them on the show at some point once I look further the, into them.
3: I have a question. What? This is for every, both of you, actually. Does it does it feel like everyone's in a rush when they don't need to be? Mm. Like the way it feels to me is like. Everyone is in a rush to try and, like, here's my product, here's my thing.
0: Bam! Let me put that out on well, the stage. Just, there, is some type of, there is some type of time constraint here, at least if you would like to try and get in while the getting's good, because there's going to be more and more regulation and standards, which makes it more okay. difficult to do these things, right? I mean, I, I think that's good, but it's not, it's really, really easy to do an ICO right now and then play ignorant if you make a bunch of money and don't know how to file your taxes or don't do it in a way that keeps you, v- keeps your, the money you make vested. So you have to work f- to actually use it. And, or you, or you just don't get the attention that because there's so many other ICOs out in the space. So it's, it's, everyone's just trying to get in as fast as possible to, or like be the first one to solve whatever their, whatever problem they think they're solving instead of being, having a like competition in that particular space. Because eventually, most of the problems, or at least the problems that make sense, are going to have solutions. It's just going to be someone else tries to do the same thing, but in a different way. And you end up with competition, which is a healthy thing. But right now, most of the projects that are coming out, if, if they're any good, they're more often than not solving something that hasn't been solved already. So, worth your time? No, or, well, I guess in the sense that this is all like I don't want to go to any more conferences very much. <laughs> it's just it's the conferences aren't what they used to be. It's just everyone talking about money. It's way more. You went to
3: a consumer conference. You didn't go to yeah. a dev
2: and
0: that developer may be conference.
3: that may be the case. You're right. It's that may be. See, the how case how many that. Ferraris were
2: in front of the hotel?
3: Jesus! How many Lambos were in front of the conference? A double Jesus. Yeah. Like it was like, it was very funny when we were driving up to the TNABC, the North American Bitcoin Conference in Miami. We were a little lost in the Uber. Like we were like, I don't know, I think the hotel's there and the conference has got to be somewhere around here. And I looked out the right window and I was like, Lambo, Lambo, Ferrari, Lambo, Rari. Shelby, Mustang, oh, yeah. Lambeau. And I was like, the I think the conference is right there. <laughs> <laughs> That's where the conference is. And consumer conferences are much different than developer conferences. My Personally, I don't like them.
0: Well, here's the difference.
3: Go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to say, like, it's everybody's. It feels like if they were selling their genitals, it's prostitution. Like, they're just like, please give me money. Please give me money. And then there's people walking around. They're like, ooh, I have money. Do you have a business, Vijay? Because I'm looking to put my investment all up in your business, Vijay. That got that got weird quick. So do we avoid
2: these conferences or do we become Bitcoin Batman <laughs> and, and just go because they need more people like Corey D
3: and Cello? They need us there to call out the prostitution that's happening at such a high caliber. Now, some of these projects, like I think some of the best projects, the ones without booze and they won't be, I I don't know. I don't hate to make things binary because there were good people there. Like Paul Poo is there with his team over at edge, building their edge, edge wallet.
0: And here's the thing. Like this is, this is what's the conferences like that are different. And so the, because they're, using the technology, we're trying to find ways to leverage the technology to be to use. And that's easier than building it, like the people who and so developer conferences are all about how do we make the actual technology work and scale. And like, they the focus isn't on trying to raise money, as it is, it's trying to solve problems. The people who are going to these conferences have a product that they've built that they think already solves the problem. And they need they want they want money or, or clients, or partnerships. And so it's like the the focus of why people go to those things is very different. And yeah, and, and I think it's yeah. at, at, in terms of like where the money's going to go to to try and tap into that and try and soak up as much as it can or enter into the market when the money wants to enter into the market. They're going to go to those kind of conferences because that's it's much much easier to get, like to like get a tip on what platform is going to be trading next or like going to be opening up or uh what you know you can make a partnership based on investments or some type of shit like, like, like that's where money goes and so that's what the conversations are about like there's multiple times during that conference where he goes and we'll have an after dinner drink where all you can make money on your ICOs that you're doing cuz everyone's doing an ICO and like that was the announcement from the host I was like, "Well, that's retarded."
3: It's not that retarded though. It's just because we I'm just tired of it have different viewpoints. <clears throat> and if you if you think about it from a VC's perspective, they're throwing money at the wall, and hopefully, some of that shit sticks, and they make money out some of them. That's just how they invest. It's like, oh, here's ten projects. Each one of these projects is getting a hundred grand. If nine of them go south and one of them goes really, really north, guess what? I still made still made 3 million lost <laughs> right? I, 900 I, I, yeah, grand
0: right I understand
3: what you, you mean you made 3 million off of
0: one that's, that's that's just not that's where I want there. to be that's, that's not where my I want my focus to be if y'all want to go there cool if listeners who want to go there that's cool too it's just it's it's not why I got into this space and that tends to be the majority of the conversation when people talk about it right that's what people and why they get introduced to it is because of the price. That's why people tend to try and do things. They want to try and trade and make money off of stuff they don't understand. But not a, there's not a lot lot of conversation about like what's it doing and who's it inter, who's it what who's it affecting and how is it going to scale and things like that. Which is what I pretty much the only thing I really care about.
3: So let's talk about some of that, man. Like let's talk about let's say So crypto's coming back down to earth and whoever's trying to find correlations. Uh, or causation or whatever the hell's causing the price to go down, who cares it it comes down, it goes up. we know this we're we're holders, oddler, whatever. But there's been some solid development on Bitcoin alone, and it looks like starting to see that come to fruition. so we got lightning network nodes that are popping up like it's going out of style and this, well, go ahead, Chella
2: well not only like i'll let you and Corey talk about that point but the the price going back to being boring again is also making the toxic stuff in the environment come to light so you you had the BitConnect connect ponzi scam not only was it exposed but it's also getting a class action lawsuit after the mm. collapse okay and then you have the teenage youtubers you know how you and Corey are like that investment advice and i'm like why do we keep saying that well the teenage youtubers promoting BitConnect are getting sued as well uh and receiving threats from people getting financial investment advice from these teenagers one of the youtube crypto pros didn't even know what a public key is and he has millions of followers and i'll even call him out it's a dude named crypto nick and then you have weird withdrawal activities on the japanese exchange you have canadian central banks that don't like the unregulated crypto space um tether is going to print 200 million USD to save themselves from going under. And all, I think all of this happens when people stop checking their block folio every 15 seconds and people, like you say, they come back down to earth they really look at this whole landscape with a wide angle lens. And I think it's good, man. I think it's good for the community.
0: Have we come back down to earth? Have, have we come back down to earth? It's like,
3: well, it, if you look logarithmically as yes, 10,000 is not at a bad, Point, price yeah, wise, like, to get to cut the hype when,
0: down. When did we get like, to ten thousand?
3: Uh, November only no, took yeah in November. Okay, a month. And it took a year to <laughs> get there.
0: It's like yeah. it's yeah. With the price jumped, and it's still up, super up, super high in terms of any type of intermediate time time frame. Yes, so is right. With any
3: other asset, everything something is growing ten x in eleven months. Is not. Something growing 10x in 11 months, and then doubling from that 10x from November to December is not a good look. Growth well, wise. Well, I think that's Suspect.
0: that's part of it's there's there's two things here, right? Like on a on like a somewhat of a smaller timescale, you have traders who are gonna you know they have these kind of natural boom and bust cycles as new people come into the market and the, and the experienced people take profit when they think the price is over. What it should be for the short term, and then they buy back in when those those new entrants you know, have weak hands and sell off. And, mm-hmm. and I'm, this is this is my personal opinion. I'm not a very good trader, so don't take too much advice from me. But it's it, but in the long, in like the macroscopic viewpoint, you have like a massive mm-hmm. flow of new money coming into the entire ecosystem, which is just an overall bull run in a long term trend because this technology is getting more legitimate. And money's getting locked up into products that are using it more and more and more, so like that's just value being flown into the network, and then as that slow cycle up, you just have kind of natural boom and busts that are that happen to swing the price drastically mm-hmm. but like the the down is like the the low point of just barely ten thousand dollars is still higher than like a, just a few months ago. By a lot.
3: Yeah, that's why that video is going to be a fucking cult classic from now until when we're old and gray. When the guy is like, look at this, Bitcoin crashed again. Look, and it's above the point it was at the last time it crashed. And look, Bitcoin went up and it's crashed all the way back down to the point where it's much higher than it was before its previous all time high. That's going to be a cult classic forever because that's what keeps happening. The thing that I'm excited about is that now that it looks like we're coming back down to earth, the good projects rise back to the surface and the good development rises back to the surface. And it's like, oh yeah, this is technology after all. And good building has happened Why everyone was so concerned with whether or not they were going to get to buy one or two Lambos. And congratulations. I hope that you also sold enough to pay for the tax implications of the Lambo that you purchased last year. So Adds off to you if you did. If you didn't, Wesley Snipes, your ass is yeah. going to jail. <laughs> <laughs> your ass is, you're going to jail. It's going to be – it's not even going to be funny. So,
0: Yeah, um, I mean, I, I'm, I'm excited about a lot of the cool stuff that's happening. I don't – I haven't followed Bitcoin stuff as much. The Lightning Network is growing. I need to dig back into it to see um, what its like limitations are. I got but, some pros coming on, bro. We're going to have some yeah. good conversations. Because it's like people are worried about – I mean I I kind of peruse various subreddits when I can. And the r slash btc subreddit always throws shade at at, at Bitcoin because they don't understand, I guess, the natural topology of the lightning network.
3: Can I just say something real quick? Yeah. I love how the African-American community in America can just decide what is cool around the world because no one said throw shade. But now it is like everyday conversation. People that are like dentists and shit. They're like, Donald Trump is throwing shade at China again. And I'm like, why are you saying throwing shade? That was a fucking weird ass
0: hood. (laughs) Hood slang. I grew up up in the hood. (laughs) I mean, I I sound like a nerd, but I grew up in the hood.
2: You know, beef. I think beef got added to the Webster's Dictionary as like an official word. Be on beef with someone.
3: Shade throwing shade. Corey, you did not grow up in the hood. I've been to Cedar Hill. What? Hitting me? Cedar Hill with the with the water tower. Ask, oh, I'm googling Cedar,
2: Cedar, Hill. Cedar Hill gangs. Let's see what we got.
3: <laughs> oh yeah. Wow.
2: Um, gangs with a Cedar Hill metropolis presence include the Texas Syndicate, the Texas Mexican Mafia, the Serrano Thirteen. And the Latin Kings. So there's a heavy Hispanic gang presence in Cedar Hill. Oh wow, of course. You did grow up in the hood.
0: Yeah. So go fuck yourself. Wait, was there... <laughs> I
3: grew up in the fucking hood. I know I've been to the house. Did you people. notice
2: a lot of Latinos in Cedar Hill growing up?
0: Is that yeah. true? Yeah. Okay. I had I worked for oh, calm the calm down art... with the detective
3: work,
2: I worked for
0: calm... the uh the art art room and I would have a, I would regularly have Mexicans ask me for razor blades. Why are you guys saying these horribly racist things? Not, no, that was literally what happened. That that's not something. Oh, that, that's just something uh, that just happened to me in my personal I'm experience. Racist, assuming that
3: only Mexicans carry razor blades. Uh, and by yeah. the way,
2: I, I, I went to cedarhilltexas.com dot com slash gang investigate. It's a real website. It just popped up. Anyway, <laughs> we can move on. Did you use Pally or no? He didn't. No, have time.
0: their app didn't work. Uh, Oh no! Give us the oh. juice. That was the juice. I did meet up with Bo though. <laughs> he's an advisor <laughs> for Palais. He's he's in our Slack. I met up with him for some uh, for some chicken and beer at this real weird neighborhood that someone recommended to us at our hotel. Wait yeah. a second, it's chicken a cool and beer, beer like the like the Ludacris
3: album, Chicken and Beer.
0: Yeah, it was just fried. The place was just fried chicken and beer. It was delicious. It had waffles too. Oh, but, that sounds lovely.
2: And how did Token Market go? Good too.
0: Yeah, saw Lawrence from Token Market. He's a cool nice. dude. Good people. That was nice about that was nice about being there. It was kind of catching up with the people across the pond that uh, that like us and are friends with us. So I actually got to see them face to face versus just talking to them on the internet digitally. Okay. It's pretty cool that we're
3: listened to in nineteen time zones. So if we do travel anywhere, we could just like ping and say like, Hey, we're there. Like, let's go have a beer. Let's go have a beer and let's talk about crypto, because it's pretty much all we were gonna fucking talk about if we ever met up anyways. So yeah.
2: So. I think the 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 moment that we had in Miami won't be topped. And Corey, I don't think we told you this. We were on a plane and the guy in front of us was looking at our Twitter feed. And I was like, Hey, you're on our Twitter feed. He goes, What? And then he saw I was wearing the hat. <laughs> And he goes, "Holy shit! You're the Bitcoin <laughs> podcast."
3: Yeah, <laughs> we and were I'm like, just like yeah, "Yeah, it's us." And then, and then he came across like the crypto dogs, and he was like, "Oh man, look what the crypto dog just said." And I was like, "Yeah, we were there when he tweeted it because he's right in front of you." Yeah, he's, he's sitting the right, there. right there, and he was like, <laughs> "Holy shit! You're the crypto dog." And I was like, "Yeah, we're all like on this plane, all of us in <laughs> the back of this plane."
2: A yeah, pretty and surreal it was moment. Pretty cool.
3: It was surreal. Tell
2: you, tell you what, it, you know, there's a stark contrast between consumer conferences and developer conferences. But the one thing in common is the Bo. It's around both conferences.
3: Oh, we got We've called that out. We're consistent in calling that the Bo level is much too high. On a scale of one to ten, it's pushing a nine point seven. Like <laughs> we need to get a degree sponsorship or a. Sw- yeah. Swab sponsorship or some shit. Like, just, Sorry, sorry, audience. But if you're going to these conferences... You like, gotta smell like money, man. Just don't smell like money. Just don't smell like ass.
0: <laughs> That's a good start to the day. That's a great
3: start to the day. Hit up <laughs> some soap and water, hit up some deodorant or some antiperspirant, and then make your way to the conference. That's all I'm saying. I agree. Um... Well, let's we got way off the rails. Um
2: it's uh it's good to be back though, man. Like the team. It's like yeah, it's like wearing sweatpants.
0: It's comfortable. The fucking tears. <laughs> <laughs> like wearing Planeteers. sweatpants. We go to the interview? Yeah. Yeah. Do that. Like, we'll come yeah, back with some actual actual talk after this. All right. So
3: uh today's interview is brought to you by uh is it still Fruit of the Loom that's sponsoring us?
2: Or yep. is it... Um, I think it's uh, Street Fighter Arcade Edition.
1: Hot Pockets.
2: Oh, I, I saw you were, playing Star, Star Wars, Wars Battlefront. Sponsored by you Hot should, Pockets.
3: Yeah. You shouldn't be supporting that game. Chello, you are awkwardly stalky sometimes. Yes, I was playing Star Wars Battlefront. I was playing that with my brother. I know you were. What about <laughs> it? It's- I know you know. Like, why you st- why you stalking my internet activity? <laughs> I'll I'll
2: call
4: I, no, Shell, um, ISP.
3: Like- yeah, like <laughs> it's called a friends list. That's very true. I'm just messing with you. All right. I, actually, uh- Battlefront's not a very good game. But let's get to the interview. Let's let's go. Let's. All right. It's with uh, Steve Bassi. He's the CEO
2: of uh, Polyswarm. Uh, I was actually next to their booth at um the conference. It's a good interview with a uh, respected security expert. So let's get into it.
3: All right. Without further ado, here it is.
2: Hey, guys. Uh, today, we're, we welcome Steve Bassey, who's the CEO of PolySwarm. Uh, if you're unfamiliar, they are a cybersecurity blockchain startup that is about to disrupt the growing billion dollar a year antivirus market with blockchain technology uh steve thanks so much for joining us
4: hey thanks man for having me i appreciate
2: it yeah i I usually start these interviews out asking how uh, a particular person got into crypto but i i think i want to change it up this episode because i'm more curious on understanding today's level of sophisticated cyber threats and kind of their detection and predictive remediation, and then kind of how your interest in blockchain kind of led you to that Eureka moment that is Polyswarm. Sure, sure.
4: So um, I built a cybersecurity R&D startup called uh, NARF Industries. And one of the big things we did in the last couple of years was um, DARPA's Cyber Grand Challenge. And we we worked on the infrastructure side there. And it's very interesting. uh, The whole concept was to take um, automated programs and uh, basically point them against other programs to see if they could find essentially flaws in those programs' vulnerabilities and if they could synthesize what were called proofs of vulnerability um, and, and play a game against other teams autonomously where they would basically attack and defend the, the same software running on different hosts. And so, you know, it, it really showed the power of um, how automation uh, can, can help the cybersecurity landscape, right? What if we could train machines to find flaws faster? But um, to start doing that, you've got to have humans you know, uh, write code that, that automate these processes and that's one of the thoughts behind Polysform, and I can tell you a bit more about you know how we got frustrated with our own progress as a, as a small cybersecurity RD shop, and this is, this is a sort of a result of that frustration.
2: Yeah, because uh, I read that like there's like 90 million cyber attacks each year, and like a uh, huge percentage go undetected, and it was such a scary statistic. Uh, you know why? Why is it so hard to uh, identify these malicious files? Like, why is it? Why is that so difficult?
4: Sure, sure. So, a couple things. Um, one, uh, happy to hear where you read that from. I, I have no idea how they counted that, so I can't really comment on the number. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I will say is, um, there's something called the halting problem, right? And it basically says that uh, given one program looking at another program, uh, we can never tell if, in an automated fashion. It's undecidable if the second program halts, right? Um, so this is kind of a, a, an ancillary reason why it's so hard to detect cyber threats, right? If we can't even, you know, decidably create a perfect program that decide if another program stops, then, you know, how can we how can we write code to... Detect malware that's very evasive or uh, designed to be stealthy, right? Um, so we try to address this with Polysform by saying, you know, look, we really need a global workforce of, of expertise that's handling this problem.
0: So I, I actually work uh, in, in cybersecurity as well. And I and I kind of have, I'm around a lot of people that basically hack and hunt and look for threat detection. And I'll use a lot of you know, machine learning as a large buzzword in today's society and trying to figure out how to find vulnerabilities in software. And, and, and it's, it's this kind of cat and mouse game of everything continues to get more and more and more sophisticated with people, how how people find vulnerabilities with every new tech and, you know, introduces more attack vectors. Then you have to kind of up your game on how you then check for those types of things. How do you, but, and this is a, a very large profitable market because there's so much money on the line because we rely so much on technology to do everything basically. So how do you, how does Polyswarm incentivize people to use their, you know, most precious resource, which is time to spend trying to contribute to the platform?
4: So how we incentivize, uh... People to spend that that time um, is by writing and improving software. Maybe they've already built the piece of software, right? And we call this software micro engines. And micro engines can be thought of as a as a smaller, uh, more focused version of an antivirus system that's already used. Um, you know, Norton or uh, uh, McAfee or Kaspersky uh, produce these things, but they're big and monolithic and and sort of hard to keep up to date. So, we incentivize people to basically spend their time. Um, creating these micro engines by offering tokenized rewards, which we call Nectar, right? And it's only become possible in the last few years to to offer these tokenized rewards, uh, with sort of Ethereum and the rise of smart contracts, right? And the interesting thing is that antivirus has a, a huge transaction volume, right? Every time you open an email attachment, Um, It's probably been scanned by an antivirus engine somewhere. Uh, People that have antivirus software, every time they click on a link or download a file, that's scanned by an antivirus engine. And uh, that costs between a quarter of a US cent and a cent and a half. And happens billions of times a day in the world over. So we're really trying to incentivize security expertise to spend their time improving their micro engines so they can basically collect that that transaction fee for scans, right? That sub-cent amount and do it thousands of times in an automated fashion.
0: So if I can get that, if I can get to kind of get a better idea of what you're doing is you're, you're kind of tokenizing or incentivizing people to contribute to a large, large shared database of um, like known threats. So that, you know, when, when your click does get, your email click does get scanned, the email attachment does get scanned. It's going through a larger database of known threats before it says it's clean. Is that the gist of it? Or you're trying to figure out that the, like, is there, is there a different aspect to it?
4: No, no, that is the the gist of it. I would say instead of um, searching a threat against the database, uh, how, every, how every security expert's microengine does it may be a bit different. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're actually actively, the microengines are actually actively looking at what we call artifacts, which are files, URLs, IP addresses, anything that could be a threat vector, right? And they're, uh, it, it, a microengine is a program that actually pulls apart that artifact, looks into it, and, and searches for <laughs> malicious intent or malintent, as we call it. Um, so it's a bit more of a, um, of a uh, the artifact gets pushed into into multiple micro engines at once that sort of weigh in on whether the the artifact is malicious or not.
2: Yeah, so I, I kept hearing you talk about like recruiting or building out a team, and I was I was really curious in your opinion how reluctant are your your average day security cyber experts uh, to blockchain technology? Like I asked because I know. That the usage of the tokens of your upcoming ICO are going to go towards efforts of prospective security industry partners, and I was curious. I was like, you know, how hard is it to find a very capable uh, cyber expert, but also has the uh, expertise of blockchain built on top of that?
4: Sure, sure. Well, first things first. Uh, most security experts are actually pretty good programmers, right? And if we mm-hmm. if we look at how blockchains built. Um, You know, it's a a software product, right? Uh, It's a distributed software system. And I think they're pretty comfortable with that idea. So this notion of having a blockchain-ready cybersecurity expert is, uh, you know, I think not quite right. I think it's more that um, they're security experts and they already deeply understand how computers work. They already deeply understand how to write software, right? And understanding how a distributed system like a blockchain with a smart contract subsystem on top of it works... Not that big of a stretch Um, and they're already very used to contributing into the the open source uh, world and if you look at the blockchain community there's a lot of parallels there it's a very open um, you know economy and system right the the blockchain is about open immutability in some ways right and uh, i i think all those things together uh, i don't think we're going to have a problem with it to be honest
0: i could agree with that i think the the community that that would already be doing this type of work, can adapt itself quite quickly to um, the, I guess, constraints that are associated with dealing with blockchain, uh, because they're so used to dealing with kind of very methodical ways of dealing with, like, how to attack a certain piece of software and how to find vulnerabilities in software. I'm curious about whether or not any of that intellect based on your platform can be pushed towards helping find vulnerabilities in blockchain. Because that would be something I would love to see incentivized is finding ways to increase the problems that we're currently having, especially with maybe like smart contracts, for instance.
4: Yeah, yeah. So um so yes, we are a threat intelligence market, right? But this is sort of the first problem set we're addressing is this this antivirus and threat intelligence piece because Today, it's it's the fastest thing we can do to protect users against threats online, right? That has a, that has a great transaction volume. What you're talking about there is uh, is bug bounty, right? Mm-hmm. And the idea behind a bug bounty is that, you know, people who rely on software um, or hardware products, let's say like Apple products or Microsoft products, right? Those companies create a, a bug bounty and they say, hey, uh, security researchers, please come find flaws in my software. And if you find something that, that's a big deal to my customers and would hurt my customers. I'll pay you for the knowledge of that. So we can, we can fix the problem and uh, we can protect our users. Right. And so that's a, that's, that's a bit of a different market than what we're trying to do here, but a very, uh, a valiant one, right. And anybody that takes that on, we wish them success. Um, the difference between that market and what Polysform's trying to solve is that market has a lot smaller uh, number of transactions. Right. Mm mm-hmm. um, And, um, that uh, the, the average value of the transaction is actually higher, about $500 on average, right? And there's companies out there like Hacker One that already do this very well in a centralized fashion. Um, so back to your point of, of smart contract audits and making sure that essentially, you know, if there's a, another DAO or another parity wallet type issue, that people don't lose lose a lot of money in the process. Um I think that that is a a lofty goal and something we're interested in looking into, but it's not our sort of primary objective. Certainly would be great for the community. Um, I'd actually like to give a shout out to one of our, uh, one of our advisors, his company, uh, this guy named uh, Dan Guido of of Abits. They're working a lot on tooling for improving the security of smart contracts, right? uh, Pointing out unintended flaws in the contract, you know, would have, may prevent, um, uh, the next parity wallet. Uh, a lot of their stuffs on GitHub. Check them out. Trail of Bits, they're called. Um, we think they uh, we think they do excellent work.
2: Very cool. And some of these solutions that they're advising and that you're working on, they are not uh, broad threat coverage. They're more like tunnel vision uh, solutions, correct? You want to discourage solutions that provide uh, that cast a wide net of security, correct?
4: You know, I I wouldn't say we want to we want to um... Discourage that at all, um, but our, our thesis is that by by building Polyswarm as a decentralized ecosystem, that we can build this 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 sort of a patchwork umbrella that covers end users much much better than a single vendor ever could. Right. So there's this um, there's this uh, uh, Microsoft Office uh, clone essentially in South Korea called Hancom Office Suite if you never heard about it, don't worry. It's, um, <laughs> uh, but, um, all of South Korea, you basically uses this, you know, in the same way we we would use word or Excel or any of those things. Right. Trouble is it's the number one malware vector in, in South Korea. Right. So what we, what we've seen, I think there, I can't remember the name at the moment, but there's a South Korean antivirus company that sprung up because none of the big guys were focusing on detecting threats in this very specific file format. Right. With poly um, we could have some south korean security experts you know really want to focus on on hancom office suite and build a micro engine to do so right but end users in south korea would also be protected by other micro engines from other parts of the globe that you know would uh, would scan for threats in word documents or pdfs or other stuff they were processing on their computer right so we really say it as a as a better way to do the economics of of antivirus and threat detection and threat intelligence
0: how does this how does this scale in terms of like if you have so many highly specific people working on potentially like problems that are like within their domain, but it's a shared market? Does each file then get kind of parsed by every micro engine available, or does it, there's some type of way to kind of make sure that as there's more solutions being built into the system, you don't have this problem with like lagging the idea of prov- actually providing the service to the end, to the end user?
4: Yeah. So, um, look, when we when we thought a lot about this, how we we wanted this marketplace to look, to actually protect users, right? Uh, we came up with this idea of, uh, you know, we looked at prediction markets, and the idea behind a prediction market. Um, you know, very simple. Let's take a simple example. If, if we wanted to, if we were a stockbroker and we wanted to understand who was going to win the U.S. election, but we didn't want to do all the research, right? We may go out there and we'd ask a prediction market to sort of weigh in on this. And when people predict, they predict, you know, candidate A or candidate B, but they also stake that prediction with with money, right? Mm-hmm. And so in our system, uh, we ask people to to predict whether or not something is malicious. And when they do, we ask them to stake that. That assertion with 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 nectar tokens, right? So essentially, they're putting their they're putting their uh, their money where the mouth is, and they're weighing in on whether something is malicious or not. But also with that with that tokenized um, uh, sort of assertion, they are trying to tell you how confident they are that's it's happening, right? So it's we have two modes of operation one is called bounties and that's very uh, easy to understand it's sort of a wild west um poster uh where they can basically say hey does anybody think this thing's malicious or non-malicious and then people are allowed to weigh in with the amount of nectar tokens that that they're confident with right and um we think that really helps control uh you know the audiences for certain bounties, right? If if I know nothing about how to parse a PDF file and how to understand if it's malicious or not, I'm certainly not going to wager any of my nectar tokens on it, right?
0: So how does someone then, like if they if they if they stake their or like say they're super confident in the fact that like this PDF is has some vulnerability in it and shouldn't click on it, how do they like what's the payout? What how do they get that stake back? How do they get paid back? And or like what does someone have to then? Proof? Does someone have to use it? How do you, like, what's the re- resolution for that?
4: Yeah, yeah. So, great questions. Um, first of all, when I stake against a bounty, say I, I say that some PDF file is malicious, and I, I put my Nectar tokens down. When that bounty was posted, there's actually two things associated with it. There was a fee, right? Let's put the fee aside for it, or for a second. The fee is a, a percentage of the actual bounty amount. And then there was initial uh, neutral. Um, we call it, we think of it as like a, a neutral bounty incentive, right? And so if I'm the only guy weighing in on that bounty and we decide that that thing was in fact a later or at a later date malicious, um, then I get to take that initial thing, right? So what happens if another guy weighs in and also says it's malicious, right? Well, what happens then is we take that original bounty amount and we split it in, in proportion to how many Nectar tokens we wagered on it, right? We, we, we staked on it. Um, so this is how we sort of help bounties uh, scale, right? Um, because if somebody comes in and says it's not malicious, and uh, we determine at a later date that it, uh, it, in fact, was malicious, then the winning side, the people who said it was malicious, basically get to take that original or that the person who was wrong, they get to take that uh, that stake from them, right? And split it up however how in proportion to however confident they were. Mm-hmm. Do you want yeah, me
0: to yeah, go through was... that again, guys? I think it's yeah. it, it's great. I go chill. Do you have something to say?
2: Well, I, I just recall like the last security episode we have was was rivets, right? And I wanted to know if maybe there was like some kind of marriage there.
0: Rivets is looking yeah, more towards yeah. like a like a like a two factor authentication using trusted execution environments. This seems more like a marketplace for for people to weigh their confidence backed by their own reputation slash money on. Things that they understand, which then allow which then gives a service to other people who are worried about files that they have. Is that a better? Is that a good way to explain what you're doing?
4: Yeah, I think it is. Um, you know, we've designed the system such that um, expertise is required. Right when you're when you're a security expert, staking your own your own tokens against whether or not something's malicious. Right, uh, we really want to make sure that you. You know you you've built software you've built an automated micro engine that is confident that this thing is either malicious or not because in the end that's what's going to protect users better so we really started Polyswarm to, to um uh to you know identify those security experts who are good at that and i think you kind of brought that up or touched on it with your reputation uh comment there um you know because this is a blockchain based system right we can see over time what experts were right and what experts were wrong about what types of artifacts, what types of files or URLs. Right. And that sort of leads to our second mode, which is offers. And offers are sort of a way to, once you've identified a security expert who you think is really good at say scanning for phishing sites and URLs, right. Um, you can, you can actually connect directly with them in a peer to peer fashion and, um, and, uh, exchange Nectar for, for, uh, for scans of URLs or whatever, whatever's on offer from that from that security expert. Um, to your comment about Rivets earlier, um, you know, uh, I think we have some announcements coming up. Uh, Steven uh, Sprague is a friend um, of us, and uh, we really like what he's doing uh, with respect to, um, you know, really leveraging the secure hardware elements of all the devices are out there, to, uh, out there to really improve the uh, the authentication spaces and and other sort of. Um, uh concerns and, and access control
2: no that's awesome we're actually going to be at the uh the north american bitcoin conference as well and um we'll be on the edge of our seat waiting for that because that's gonna be awesome oh, well
4: i hope we're uh i hope we can deliver on the uh promise there <laughs> yeah. well it's it's i, yeah. I, I
0: kind of i i i feel have you heard of numeri this the numeri project you, in the space
4: you know i have and um uh they're doing they're doing quant models, right?
0: Yeah, but it's a very or similar. I, the way I at least the way I understand what you're trying to tell me is that it's a very similar type of model, and that you're crowdsourcing expertise to do something that's useful for other people.
4: Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I, I would tend to agree that it's a similar model, except we're just very focused on the cybersecurity and threat intelligence yeah. vertical, right? Yeah, but it's a um, it's
0: a very interesting way of getting incentivized because what you want is you want expertise, and right. these types of experts experts are like. And kind of few and far between. And so you need to find a way to incentivize them to then lend their expertise to a platform that helps a broad general audience. Because more often than not, like when you're really, really good at something, you can tend to only help a small amount of people, but this allows them to then really dive into a platform of like-minded people and learn from each other really quickly, which, which pushes the whole space in terms of expertise and learning. So people have like a, a community they can go to where they can contribute and learn as well as like, allowing that expertise to be available to a very wide general audience for a low cost. And that's, these are all really, really good things.
4: Right. Right. And, and, you know, honestly, if at the end of the day, we, you know, we protect users online better than I think we've won. Um, and you know, also we're, we're excited about the ability to, you know, sort of shake up the way we've done AV and threat intelligence for the last 20 years, which is people from around the world can't necessarily, you know, show up on, um, on a on the front door of a big tech, uh, you know, software giant in the in the Silicon Valley, and start contributing to a product that protects users. Right, it's just um, not there. But in the last three years, with uh, you know, with the sort of the rise of Ethereum and other sort of smart contract on blockchain type systems, you have this ability to really build new marketplaces that address existing problems like this in a, in a way that wasn't possible three or four years ago. And that's exciting to, to us. And I think I, I wish Numeri a lot of success on that front too, right? Um, it's, uh, it's, it's a great time to to sort of be alive as a technologist.
2: I, I, I have to ask this. I know it's kind of an immature question, but is every time John McAfee tweets, do you guys <laughs> wish that he
4: had it? <laughs> you know. Um... <laughs> that's the only way I can put it, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, so the guy's done a lot in his life, and uh, you know you got to respect him for what he what he started, right? The uh, you know, McAfee is a company, but um, uh, you know we're constantly asked, and we were like, we have a couple links on the website. McAfee, the company, um, you know, was checking us out and kind of you know wrote about our project and uh, was curious to where it was going, right? They're they're curious about us and. and uh, we tell people this, and they're like, wait, wait, McAfee, the, the guy? And I'm like, no, 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 the company. And, uh, <laughs> I think there's a bit of a sigh of relief, but I don't yeah. know. You know. It's, uh, it's just. Uh, I'm not trying to get you in
2: uh, trouble here. I was just, I, you know, I don't get the chance to see from the perspective <laughs> of people in the industry what they think of him. Um, yeah. And uh, uh, pertaining to your ICO that I missed. Uh, feel free to let our audience know. Um, I, I know it starts uh, first week of February, and this is this will be released kind of in the middle of this interview and, and uh, the ICO itself, uh, but we want to kind of create some pre-buzz and some anticipation. So, um, you know, you don't have to spoil any big announcements that you're going to make in a conference, but if there's anything we missed, feel free to let our audience know.
4: No, no, I think you guys, uh, I, I appreciate all the questions. Um, you know, it is February 6th. Uh, we're, we're very excited to uh, welcome global security expertise, to the platform um, enterprises, uh, universities, anybody who has a problem with, with malware. I, I think, I think um, we can really build these network effects up and make this uh, you know, just a, just a better mousetrap for, for doing the whole thing, doing the whole anti malware threat intelligence and threat detection. And eventually we want to get to the response, right? Um, you know, uh, the old adage, uh, who are you going to call it? Ghostbusters, um, you know, I think when someone's organization or computer gets compromised today, like, they're really going to be like, who are you going to call? And, and the answer yeah, is, yeah. I have no idea, right? And I think this will be really helpful for identifying security expertise that, that can help in those situations.
2: For sure. Corey, you want to hit him with the uh, of a 10?
0: Yeah. You, same question we hit everybody with. I want to hit you with the same thing. And uh, 10 words or less, can you describe blockchain? Yeah,
2: you got to lean back in your chair for that one.
4: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) See, I think, um, uh, you know, a permissionless canvas to build new solutions that don't need to worry about borders and traditional infrastructure. You hit that's like, what it is to
0: me. I think you hit like thirteen or fourteen there, but it was still pretty succinct. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <In forever.
4: laughs> Were you counting? I'm yeah. actually interested. Oh, in I count. Now.
0: Oh yeah, I think you hit thirteen on that one. I have to check again. <laughs> but uh, I've done so many, I just do fingers every single time people are talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, thanks for coming on the show. I really uh, am interested to see how this platform builds out and what kind of like real resource this ends up building for people to use, and I hope it pushes things forward.
4: Yeah, yeah, we're very focused on making this into a, a real solution for this problem. Thank you for having me. Absolutely, cool. right. you're welcome back anytime. Great guys, thanks. All right,
3: take it easy. And we're back. Hope you enjoyed that interview uh, with Mr. Bassi. He's a bassett boy. That's a thing in um in London, right? No, Batty boy is a thing in London. Maybe I don't know. I didn't it's a hear Batty that. boy. It's a if I'm not mistaken uh you know I don't know that slang so I'm not going to go into it but I do know that uh in certain places on the point they call people bad boys." um oh. so I want to talk about something that I thought was really cool is is, is on a episode of on onra- uh, not on rapping with TPP's announcements um you know I interview people about their projects Give them a chance to showcase it. But I came across this project that stuck with me. It's called Globotex. And they really are an exchange that's going to basically be like the hedge against risk for Bitcoin. Look them up. It was a great episode. It was about two months ago when I interviewed them, so it leaves my mind. But in that interview, the reason I'm bringing it up is because in that interview, she mentioned like when you start seeing things like Bitcoin is being used – Uh, as a vessel to do trades of massive amounts of like goods that humanity just needs, then we're crossing a threshold, crossing a threshold. And I saw an article this week that was like 3000 metric tons of wheat between Russia and Ukraine were paid for with Bitcoin. And I was like, Whoa, I think that's what she's talking about. I think that's uh, what Lisa was talking about is that like when we start seeing trades like 3000 tons of wheat, and then, like so many barrels of oil or so many tons of cotton, I think maybe we're getting into a new territory for cryptocurrency
0: in general. I don't know. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And the first first step of that is business to business transactions, just like you said. And with with this being a global network that doesn't require any kind of trust and has quick settlements, it's it's kind of great for that, especially for large large purchases, right? It's cheap to do that kind of transaction um, when when it's that big of a transaction. But I'm curious to know, like, how long did this company already have Bitcoin? Did they buy Bitcoin, send it, and then it gets sent back into whatever fiat that's that's there? Is it being used as an intermediary to proxy the international trade? Yeah. They, because you have you may end up with like things like slippage where like the, the value changes drastically from the like the invoice to when it gets put back into whatever local currency. So that's gonna end up being a problem. And it's difficult for companies to project any type of future of profits or losses um when they hold hold cryptocurrencies for a long time and transact with them. And I don't think Excuse at least, me. based on the current volatility, that large business is going to continue to do something like that, or at least hold the currency. They'll use it as a means, as an, an intermedium to do it, just to transact. If they if they can be guaranteed that they can get it back into whatever they feel comfortable in terms of stability, uh. But it's 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 a big step, and I hope that's a thing that continues to take place because once you have that, you then start to get a lot more volume and market. That's the size of the entire market grows drastically. And I think that brings stability to the entire market over time. And you have things like it, stable it coins, which will hold, which avoids the bridge altogether once those get done properly. That
3: so, stable coin is, you know, we might want to get the uh, Ted talker from the old Dow maker Dow. On the show at some point, I'd really like to, if we if we focused on just Bitcoin and for a little while. Just figure out what Bitcoin is doing, because it's the, a lot of development with Bitcoin has, has been overshadowed, but I don't know how those stable tokens work. And they explained it at the DEVCON, but I was like, uh, what? Like I needed I need at least three more PowerPoint slides before there's I can
0: multiple get kinds. And, it's, and you're right, it is complicated because something is stable. With respect to something else, right? If it's pegged mm-hmm. to something, then it's pegged, and like so, its its stability is pegged to the stability of whatever it's pegged to.
3: And it's like trying to learn a tech and ten hit combo. Yeah, it's very
2: it tough.
0: That it's not stable in comparison to other things.
2: Yeah. No. In in other countries, though, like where this wheat wheat deal is going down, they have. Depression. Um, Depression. Yeah, they have completely cashless and free instant peer to peer transfers if you're using the same bank. So there's no real incentive to use <laughs> Yeah, I mean
3: Bitcoin. If you're using the comm- same bank as someone, of course it's instant cashless.
2: Yeah, so they want to launch their own cryptocurrency. Right now, I think it's just a community thing. And I don't know. Like what what if cash is abandoned and everyone is forced to pay negative interest while there's rising inflation? then what?
0: Um, Good reason to get out of your currency. You yeah. Can't hold, can't, you can't hold value. I mean, that's people will flock to something that works better than what they are forced to use when they have an alternative. I mean, if, in the previous times, you didn't have an alternative to hold to store your value. When the banks did something like negative interest rates or charge fees out the ass for doing things that you would normally do or Bank America is now getting rid of all their free bank accounts. Guess who I'm not going to bank with anymore? Because that's something that's absurd these days. There's no reason to have something like that. Why would they do
3: that? I, I they're know. only trying to appease shareholders because, like, you're making billions, billions of dollars. I'm not talking about revenue. I'm talking about like straight up profit. Billions. Why cut that? That's it's like. I was actually thinking about this the other day. I like banks. The reason I, said, I know that's a dangerous thing to say in this community, because it they served a purpose at one point that was needed. Like, you know, I got all this freaking cash. I don't want somebody to come in and steal it, rape my wife and kids. I'm going to put it in this bank. Like, I'm putting put it in this bank. They're going to hold I'm paying a little fee. They're going to hold on my cash. I get my cash. Understandable that, that there's bank runs and stuff like that. But like when banks make decisions like they do, it's like you really start to question like, OK, are you necessary? Because a lot of people that need a bank account to just live, and you just took that much of a percentage out of their paycheck just so you can appease shareholders. I don't know. I don't want to get on my.
0: Here is the thing that I'm curious about, or maybe what, what curious about what you guys think about is that like let's imagine a world where most of the financial infrastructure, the the internet of money runs on blockchains okay. and the way banking currently works, which is basically offloading your responsibility to someone else to, to handle your money and then profit off of that handling of your money. What role do they then play? Cause they're still be there. They're still going to be there, but what do they do? How do they, what do they change to then make themselves relevant? Because they'll, there's going to be at least a good portion of them that will adopt the technology that enables services for people who aren't capable of maybe doing something themselves. Like how do they then become relevant in a, in a blockchain world?
3: I don't know. How do banks become relevant in the blockchain world? Yeah. I had an idea for like a year, but I think everyone I talk to in this industry like shoots it down like it's going – like it's – they shoot it down like it's World War II and they're trying to save their country or some shit. But, What's that idea?
0: Huh? What's that idea?
3: Is that banks need to usher this in like fucking straight up AOL style. Since go uh, If I were a bank right now, even if it were like not a big bank, I'd go to Ledger tomorrow. And I would say, how many are you going to charge me for bulk Ledger Blues? Okay, here's what I'm going to pay you. And I would take those Ledger Blues and I would print my bank's emblem on the back and I would send them to my customers. And I would also send them a pamphlet. And I would say, welcome to the new world. Here's a Ledger Blue. This is what it's for. This is how you store your keys. Blah, 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 blah. Congratulations. You're going to be future-proof. Um. If you no, would
0: like, I don't, I don't, I, I don't see that happening.
3: I see, Are you talking I about
0: countries or either.
3: companies? i like a bank, man. I'm talking like a, a bank letting a person have their private keys and have their block, have their currencies, how current, if they have super multiple currencies, they can. But, you know, by the way, here's my bank token and this is how it works. I don't know. I just feel like you don't fight a trend. You try and roll with the punch
2: and well, payment systems are working just fine with debit cards and bank apps do a lot of the things that we want already like instant online and p2p payments so what incentive or not, does the average person have for adopting crypto other than making money right now
3: i tried to pay with my watch earlier today and it was declined and i was like this is an embarrassing situation for me because there's a line behind me but i paid with my watch at another store and it went just fine and there was a pause and I said, do I need to get my card out? And they said, yeah, use your card. And it's embarrassing a little bit because I could have just reached for my card from my back pocket the first time. But I wanted to pay with my debit card, with my watch. It's embarrassing. Yeah, but that's, I mean,
2: not the average wealthy person in a highly stable socioeconomic situation right now. I mean, the, crypto's main value proposition is that it's censorship
0: resistant. No one cares about that right now. Here's what I think banks are gonna do. They're gonna be somewhere in between the complete trust and trustlessness that is like if you look on one side how the internet works and like the like how things work now and how banks operate now. It's you trust you have to fully trust them. They are the points of trust for sending money. Yeah. So why not start building well, that bridge of out. trust? By- Let me finish here. Okay. All right, man. I'll take a chill pill. And blockchain is the opposite of that, right? But like the, like the offset of that is responsibility. It's a big thing. This is like, this is part of the talk that I'll be giving next month. It's like when you have full control over your private keys, you have full responsibility for maintaining that. And the technology is hard. And there's a lot of people who don't want that technology, even though they have the option to do it they don't want that responsibility they want to give that responsibility to somebody else for convenience and i think banks will play a role in that is be just becoming a secure way for someone else to store all your shit and then you have the option to move it just like you have the option to take cash out of the bank store it in your mattress if you want to do that you can still put it in your bank and It'll, yeah, they'll yeah, just have functionality that allows them to be able to do that, and, able, and and opens up potentially a lot of new efficient technologies that banks can do. It's just they'll be holding it, and you won't.
3: Banks will become Coinbase's. Yeah, and that's okay. It's a good banking app. But the reason why. I said – what I said about getting the ledgers is you build that bridge of trust. Like if you're willing to – if you're a bank, not even if you're big or you're small, and you go out of your way to educate your clients, your customers on what's coming down the line, of course you're going to increase business coming to your bank because guess what's going to happen? If I receive a package from my bank that's like, what is this thing? Oh, I get this for being a customer? How does this work? Oh, they're going to teach me how it works. Oh, cool! I can hold Bitcoin now. I've heard about that Bitcoin
0: thing. Let me call my bank real quick and figure out how I can get some Bitcoin in that's, this thing. That's that's marketing, right? That's not that's not scaling. That's not changing the way you build a business and how you interact with your your customers. That's marketing so that you your customers trust you, so they <coughs> use your functionality. Like that brings no revenue to them if they do that, other than. Potentially more trusted clients.
3: Whoa! Doesn't that bring revenue down the line?
0: Anyways, not not, not in a
3: scalable, reliable way. Sustainable. Okay. I don't know. I just feel like I would try get. I would try and roll with the punch instead of fighting it. Like, well, they will eventually.
0: Yeah. Let's uh, let's wrap it up. Let's show you something yeah, else. Yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. So. Um. Do we wrap up the episode Or are we talking about something else ta- I want to talk about like You tired you want to wrap it up
0: You want to talk about something go ahead
3: No, nah, you tired man You just flew across the freaking pond Hey man we gave
2: We gave the community like 23 episodes this month Let us go to bed
3: <laughs> <laughs> We did put in overtime this month There's been a lot of content That's poured out of the network Uh, Speaking of which, let's plug the other shows in the network. So we had a brand new show. Came out this past week. uh, DJ NES's Crypto Until Infinity. We're trying to figure out that bridge between music and blockchain, music and crypto. He's been using MusicCoin. It's been well-formed. He wants to educate other producers slash provide a nice little radio show with the tunes, the beats. Uh, We also had Evan Vanessa release a show, right? An no Ethereum podcast, been a while, but he's it's coming nice back. He'll be at Ethereum Denver
2: and he'll be kind of doing some recapping. And, um, it, it's crazy. I think Evan is just now hitting his stride with his show. So
3: that's good uh, because it takes a while. Podcasting is not, does take a while. Like you said, like you said podcasting is easier said than done. Um, mm-hmm. what else we got, Bruin? We got, um, Reese, so what us? the hell came out, Reese. If you're familiar with uh, Reese's show, he's coming. He's joining the network. Buy or Sell What the Hell is going to be a lot more regular. So if you do like trading and if you'd like to hear tips in the conversation from a gentleman that's been trading both in crypto for the last couple of years and in the traditional world and futures and Forex. And I mean, he's a trader. You put a chart in front of him and he's going to try to figure out how to to make money off of it. Uh JJ would buy or sell what the hell. Those will be more regular. Uh we got Block Channel coming, right? Or well, we had two block channels released last week. So you can listen to those if you haven't. We got a lot of shows, man. We're like a like a like a little network. Or something yeah, like that. Um real quick, <laughs> um
2: I guess another edition of Ain't My Fault, a few coworkers and I were talking about kinda legitimacy of cannabis coins I want to shout one out real quick. Um are you serious and,
3: right now? Are you plugging your own show on our show? You've got to do a separate show. There's just like talking about song.
2: shows man. No, it, it's just uh real quick, uh MJcoin.com, it's it's a way for people to I think get legal cannabis without using a credit card, which is cool. Also shout out to bubble.io I'm an advisor. Shout out to CryptoCon.
3: You're supposed sale. to do that on a name. my fault.
2: I'm okay uh, with it. <laughs> I might pump out another episode. Uh, shout out to CryptoCon. We're sponsors. Tickets go on sale in a few days for the one-day conference. The Super Conference in Dallas, Corey speaking. We have an exhibitors booth. We will have merch. We will be live podcasting. Uh, we're also new sponsors of Sigma 2018. Uh, Jesus, man. What the hell don't we do? Uh,
0: I've been I think, busy, uh, man. I think people should go to my talk. I'm, the whole point of my talk is for people to walk away going, holy shit. And that if you could, if I could get people to do that, then I'll be. I think I'm going to be successful. It's a pretty good talk.
2: I think you're going to be Jeez. the underdog because people are going to go there for Voorhees and Draper. Oh, yeah. They're not coming lot. for me, but they should go to my talk. I mean, we're going to change that, man. We're like, I got a lot of stuff. I've, I've been going hard with these conferences.
3: I'm going to uh, refute Voorhees in real life, just like I refute his ass on Twitter when I hear his talk. I'm just going to say stuff. I'm just going to chime in. Don't be that yeah. guy,
2: Uh Sigma 2018 is relevant because they, they broke up the conference in the sports affiliates, regulatory, and then disruptive technology. And we're going to be a prominent presence on that fourth pillar. Uh, I think Corey's going to try and work a speaking slot for that, too. So, Yeah, uh, I'm
3: talking in Toronto soon, too, about black wealth.
2: Yes. And then D speaking as well.
3: So, Yep.
0: We're going to try and record all this, too, so you can see it on our YouTube eventually when we get that going.
3: Yeah, man. We do, like, so many things. We need, You know, one thing we don't do well, shout out to LK Miller, who's listening nonstop. (laughs) We don't make it easy to give us money, which I read an article today. Amazon is incredibly successful because they made it really easy for people to give them money. So we're taking that model that Amazon built. And flipping it on its head. If you can figure out how to get us money, you're you're winning. He was like, "I try to send you guys money all the time, but there's no links, there's no QR codes, there's no merchandise, there's no. We'll figure it out. We got a Patreon now. We
2: we just don't want to be shilly, you know. We want people to just make know that we're putting out content and we're not trying to get your money. I don't it's like. like the, yeah. I
0: also don't like the idea of like. Giveaways to to boost your listenership—it's not real. Like people aren't listening to you because they care about your content; they listen to you because they think you're going to give them money. That's stupid. So
3: I'm going to make an action figure of me and sell that on our non-existent merchandise store. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) the accessory is going to be a microphone. I don't think people really get that. It's just like
2: you know, we had we had this little tiff. I won't get into it, but. A lot of people focus on X amount of listeners. The cool thing about us is each of our listeners are invested in the show and like the content. They're not here because we gave away a shirt or we gave away 10 Litecoin.
0: They're there because they like what we do. It's a real community of people and they they show that. It's awesome. I like talking to you guys. It's always fun.
3: Hey, Broke, I'm going to be talking to you later today, actually. By the time you hear this, we'll be talking. So, uh, wrap it up. Shout out to, uh, I'm tired of shouting out Zoe Saldana. She's clearly not listening to the show. So. <laughs> Sad face. Yeah. Womp, womp. Anyways. Play the outro. He's defeated.